This morning we're going to look at verse 13 to 20. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to 20. And uh, <clears throat> the sermon title is A Fruitful Church, An Attractive Congregation. So First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to 20. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. <clears throat> for you, brothers, become imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but sat and hinder us, but what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. One of the places in the Capitol Mall in Washington, D.C. that I like to visit is the Botanical Garden. I believe that many of you like to, to go and see a Botanical Garden. I like to see plants that produce beautiful flowers. And I like to see trees that produce fruit. And there is usually an area in the botanical garden that has fruit trees. And I like to go to that area when, when the trees have a lot of fruit, they are so good to look at. Uh, and they make the visitors happy, make me happy. So somehow seeing a garden that has trees with a lot of fruit, it makes us feel good because the garden is unattractive and it's pleasant to see. Now, think that this church is a garden, and each of you is a tree in this garden. You can be an apple tree, an orange tree, or whatever fruit that you like. Uh, so think that you are a tree, and each of you produce fruit and make this church, this garden, a very pleasant and attractive garden, a fruitful garden, a blessing to God and to the, and to the people who come to this church. Now, the Thessalonian church was like this. It's a fruitful church, a blessing to God, and a blessing to their community and even beyond. In chapter 1, verse 3, we see that Paul prayed for the Thessalonian Christians. He gave thanks to God for the fruitfulness of the church. He mentioned that the Thessalonian Christians were fruitful in their work of faith and in their labor of love. The members of the Thessalonian church were very fruitful Christians. And as a church, they did many ministries and they became a blessing to their community. The Thessalonian church was a fruitful church and an attractive congregation. Now, how do we become like the Thessalonian church? What are the characteristics of fruitful Christians? We're going to look at three important characteristics. The first one is the most important one because it is the foundations, the roots of the tree. 
we need to have strong and healthy roots in us so that we can produce a lot of fruit. So here is the first one, characteristic number one. Fruitful Christians have a high view of the word of God. This is in verse 13. Fruitful Christians have a high view of the word of God. Paul says in verse 13 to the Thessalonian Christians, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. So the Thessalonian Christians treated the word of God preached by Paul not as the word of Paul or the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God. Now, what does this mean, treating the word of God not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God? What is the difference between treating the word of God as the word of man and treating the word of God as the word of God? These two are different. So think about this. When, when we were children, and you have many young children right here, when we were children, we used to obey the words or the commands of our parents. If our parents said to us, come here, sit here, and we will come and sit where they told us to, right? You parents, you tell your children to do the same thing. Now, but as we grow older and older, somehow the words of our parents lose their weight. As we become older, we make decisions for ourselves. When we grow up from being young children to being teenagers, we start to question the words of our parents. Why do I need to sit in this chair? I want to sit in that chair. So in general, the words or the commands of parents carry much more weight to their young children than to their grown-up children. Now, is this something, with the, something to do with the parents or, or something to do with the grown-up children? The words of the parents do not change, but the children change. They grow up. And the Bible tells us that all born-again Christians are called children of God. All of us who have repented from our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ alone are born-again Christians and are children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 assures us of this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are children of God. And this adoption that we receive is by God's grace alone. God has brought us into his kingdom family by his grace alone. We don't deserve to be God's children. We are sinners condemned to death. But God has saved us from our sins and brought us into his kingdom family by his grace. Now, God wants us to listen to him just as young children listen to their parents. The problem is that we still have the sinful nature in us. We are grown-up people, and we don't have a proper respect to God as we must. We don't listen to God, our Heavenly Father, as we should. In Matthew 18, verse 3, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus wants us to be like young children who listens to the word of their heavenly daddy and obey him 
acknowledging that we depend on God alone for all things, acknowledging that there is nothing we can do without His help and His guidance in our life. So we need to have a proper respect and fear to our Heavenly Father as we should, and to have a proper respect to His Word as we should. So in other words, we need to have a high view of the Bible, the Word of God. Read it daily, meditate on it, obey it, and apply it in our lives. This is what the Thessalonian Christians did. They hold the Word of God in their hearts so dearly. They understand who God is, and they have a proper respect to His Word. God is the creator of the universe, and He is our maker. The Word of God has much more weight than any words of the presidents or kings of this world. It's beyond comparison. So when we understand who God is and have a proper respect to Him, we will also have a proper respect and a high view of His Word, the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God and not the Word of man. Some people say that the Bible contains the Word of God, meaning that some words in the Bible are the Word of God, but some are the words of man. Now, the Bible does not contain the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. It is our spiritual food, and without it we cannot live and be spiritually healthy and fruitful. And only by consuming the Word of God daily we are nourished spiritually and become fruitful Christians. And only by consuming the Word of God we abide in Christ, as Jesus said to us, Abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice here that Paul also says in verse 13 that the word of God is at work in the believer's life. What does it mean? What does the word of God is at work in our lives mean? It means that as we read and study the Word of God, it does something in us. The Word of God sanctifies us from the inside out. It nurtures us. It makes us healthy, producing strong roots and a lot of fruit, spiritual fruit. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, Paul said that all Scripture, the whole Bible, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for corrections, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this is how the Bible, the inspired scripture, the word of God, make us to be fruitful Christians. It teaches us, it reproves us, corrects us, and trains us in righteousness so that we might be complete and equipped for every good work, for the glory of God. And this is how we become a fruitful church and an attractive congregation. We need to read and study the Word of God daily. Have a high view of the Bible. It is the most valuable possessions we have. So don't spend too much time watching TV or social, social media, but spend much time with our Heavenly Father in prayers and in reading His Word. Do you know what happens? to a child of God who spends much time with his heavenly father and reads the Bible every day? 
Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 to 3 tells us, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, the word of God, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So if we want to be fruitful Christians, we need to read and meditate the Bible day and night. And God will make us become a fruitful tree that yields its fruits in its season. And in all that we do for the glory of God, we prosper. And this brings us to characteristic number two. Characteristic number two, fruitful Christians persevere in their suffering and struggles. This is um, verse 14 to 16. Fruitful Christians persevere in their suffering and struggles. Every person, Christians and non-Christians, will experience suffering and struggle in this broken world. Life is full of troubles because this is broken world. We, we got sick. Our cars get problem. Um, it costs a lot of money to get it fixed. Our computers crash. Uh, we lose signal, you know, our cell phone lose signal. Um, we get up in the morning and we spill coffee on our church and we need to go to work or to go to church. Uh, we cannot sleep in the night because too much noise on the street. And there is this pandemic. So there are all kinds of sufferings and struggles in this broken world. But there is a kind of suffering that only Christians experience because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And this kind of suffering is spiritual and is good. Christian suffering is first spiritual and second is good. What do I mean by that? So first, Christian suffering is spiritual in nature. Uh, Paul, in his letter to the, to the Ephesian church, he says in, in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So in other words, Paul tells us that our Christian life is a battle. We have a spiritual battle every day against our enemies. All Christians are soldiers in the Lord's army, and we are called to put on the armor of God to fight our daily battles. We have three enemies, the flesh, the world, and the devil. The flesh is our sinful nature that is attached, still attached here in our body. The world is this corrupted and broken world. The devil, he uses our sinful nature and this world to give us temptations to deceive us and to make us sin against God. And Jesus said that the devil is the father of lies. So Paul tells us that our battle is not only against our sinful nature and this broken world, but primarily against the spiritual forces of evil, the devil and his demons, the evil spirits, because they are real. So spiritual battles against the evil spirits are real in our everyday life as Christians. And we should take this seriously. Our battles against the rulers of the darkness of this world is very serious. This broken and dark world 
is the devil's playground. He wants us to play with him. And he wants us to lose. He wants to defeat us and to sin against God. The devil is the real enemy. And he uses all kinds of temptations to allure us into sin. Apostle Peter said that the devil prowls like a roaring lion seeing someone to devour. And the devil is very powerful and very smart. He was the commander of all God's angels at one time. And there is no way we can defeat him because we are weak. We are sinful. But Jesus Christ is almighty and in the power of Christ we can overcome the devil. Therefore, we must put on the whole armor of God. It is the same armor that Jesus put on while living on earth and going to the cross. With the whole armor of God, Jesus has defeated the devil and his victory is also our victory. So the war has been won by Jesus, but we still have the battles, the small, small war in our daily lives. Now, a difficult form a difficult form of suffering is persecution. Let Ronnie pray for this this morning. This is what, particularly what Paul talked about in verse 14 to 16. The Thessalonian Christians suffer persecution. And persecution can be verbal, emotional, or physical, or combinations of this. When the Thessalonians left their former religion and they become followers of Jesus Christ, they were persecuted verbally, emotionally, and physically by their friends, by their neighbors, and by the government authorities. And Paul told them that they suffered the same kind of suffering just as Christians, just as other Christians. In verse 14, Paul said, you suffer the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. So since the Old Testament time, those who are faithful to God are persecuted by their own countrymen. The prophets were persecuted by their own countrymen, and the Lord Jesus was also persecuted by his own countrymen. And today in our society, the same things happen to Christians who are faithful to Jesus. If we are on God's side, we will be persecuted by our own countrymen. Not maybe, but will be persecuted. If you apply your biblical worldview in your everyday life and work, you might be persecuted either physically, verbally, emotionally, or combinations of this. And many Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ in other parts of the world, suffer persecution because they choose to be faithful to Christ. What does Paul say about the people who persecute Christians? In verse 14 to 16, Paul said a few things about, about them, about the people who persecute Christians. Number one, they killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. Two, they tried to prevent the gospel to be preached to all people, meaning people from all nations. And they will persecute missionaries, church planters, and faithful church pastors and Bible teachers. And it soon will come to us here that all of us who are faithful to biblical preaching will be persecuted. Third, they displease God. What they do displease God, and so God is surely angry on them, and then fourth, their own destruction is coming. It won't be long that God will destroy them. 
So brothers and sisters, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is coming soon and he will destroy our enemies. He will reign as the true king. The first time he came here, he came to sacrifice and die for us. But the second time he will come, he will come as the king and the judge of this world. Christian suffering is also good. So Christian suffering is spiritual in nature, but second, Christian suffering is good. Paul said that Christian suffering is not only spiritual in nature because we fight against the devil, but Christian suffering is also good. Now, why is Christian suffering good? To the Christians in Rome who also suffer very much persecution, because of their faith in Jesus, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance. And endurance produces what? Character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This is good. This is good news. The Bible, the whole Bible, is full of good news, isn't it? So spiritually speaking, suffering is good for us because it will make us stronger. It builds our character. It helps our spiritual growth and sanctification. It purifies us. Just like a gold being purified by fire, we are the gold. The fire is our suffering. And when we endure suffering, we are purified and become shining gold. And we will become stronger and more mature Christians. And those who are mature in Christ understand the hope that they have in Christ. Our hope in Christ does not put us to shame. Because God's, has been, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God has sent Jesus Christ to die for us and has given his Holy Spirit to dwell in us. This is the love of the triune God. Jesus has died for us and then the Holy Spirit now lives in us. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, as Paul says. And when we die, we will live in heaven with God. This is a certainty of the Christian life. And everything that happens in our life in this world are for our own good. Because God has a purpose for everything that happens to us. You know that Christian suffering is good. Christian suffering is not, Christian hope is a certainty. Christian suffering produces hope, and Christian hope is a certainty. It is not like when we say, I hope so type. But Christian hope is a certainty. Paul say also in Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. If we are in union with Jesus Christ, if we are born again Christians and are God's children, all things work together, including our sufferings and struggles and persecutions, they all ultimately work together for our own good. God works through all things for you and I. 
Pastor Tim Keller explained this verse in three things. First, all the good things you have in your life, you will never lose it. Second, all the bad things you experience in this life, God will turn them all to be good for you. And then third, the best thing in your life is yet to come. Jesus will make all things new and he will be, we will be with him in the new heaven and the new earth when he returns. So this is our hope. This is Christian hope. Hold on to the word of God. Stand firm and be courageous. Characteristic number three, members of a fruitful church see the people whom they serve as their glory and joy. This is verse 17 to 20. So fruitful Christians see the people whom they serve as their glory and joy. Verse 17 to 20. Paul said to the Thessalonian Christians, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hinder us, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you, for you are our glory and joy? So Paul is saying that he and his ministry team were so eager to visit the Thessalonian church again, to see the Thessalonian Christians, so that they could share and encourage them with the word of God. They see the people whom they serve as their glory and joy. There is eagerness and there is joy to serve God's people. When was the last time you and I have so much eagerness and joy? Now, maybe when we go to our favorite restaurants, maybe like the Missions Barbecue or Cheesecake Factory, some of you like fried chicken, bonchon, um, or seafood restaurants, crepe cake. You know, we cannot wait to arrive in the restaurants. We are so eager. While we are driving, we already imagine the good food we will eat. And once we arrive, we cannot wait to order quickly. Where is the menu here? So there is so much eagerness to get a good meal. And once the food before us, we smile, mm, and we cannot even pray, uh, concentrate, cannot wait to eat the food. Quickly thanking God, say amen, thank you Lord, and immediately get a bite. And at that time, our food is our glory and joy, isn't it? Not the Lord who provides the food for us. So can we not do can we not do that to the people whom we serve as well? Can we not see our friends, our neighbors as our glory and joy? If we want to be a fruitful church, we need to see the people whom we serve, the people in our community as our glory and joy. See our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers as your glory and joy. Are they your glory and joy? Just as you imagine your good meal before the meal is before you, imagine that they will become followers of Jesus Christ because you continue loving them, praying for them, and inviting them to church. Have a vision that your sanctuary will become full and then you will need a bigger sanctuary. Have a vision that you will need more room for Sunday school, for Bible study, for children ministry, 
have a vision for that and see the people whom you serve as your glory and joy. See them as the fruits of your ministry. This is how we become fruitful Christians and an attractive church. If each of us is a fruitful tree, then this church will become an attractive garden. A blessing to God and to your community. Sometimes it is indeed hard to serve people in this, in this broken world. That's why we need to keep looking at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. What is it that makes Jesus keep walking while carrying our heavy cross to the hill? You know, it is our cross, it is your cross and my cross that Jesus carried to the hill. It was very heavy. But what is it that makes Jesus keep walking and keep carrying our cross? What is it that makes Jesus want to die on the cross for us? It is his love for us. You and I are his glory and joy. We were in his mind all the time while he was carrying our cross. He loved us and that's why he sacrificed himself for us. So see the people whom you serve as your glory and joy. Love them while at the same time keep looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. If you grow weary or faint-hearted, Jesus will nourish you and, and strengthen you as you abide in him. He will make you strong and you will become a fruitful tree, a fruitful church, and an attractive congregation, a beautiful garden for the glory of Christ in God's kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made us to be your children. Help us to obey you. Help us to study your word daily and to apply your word in our lives. Sanctify and nourish us with your word. Help us and strengthen us in our daily spiritual battles against our enemies. Help us to persevere. Help us to serve our community with joy. May people see us, experience our love for them, and be drawn to your saving grace. Thank you that you work through all things for our good and for your glory. And Lord Jesus, help us to abide in you and to be fruitful in you. Thank you for, for your blessings in our life. And we do pray in your name. Amen.